Good morning. Let me say something uh, about what Lissa just said before I dive into my sermon. If uh, you weren't here at the very beginning of the hour, you didn't hear Mike Miller uh, at the opening video mention the congregational meeting. So I just want to punctuate that before I get into the sermon. We need you to be there. It's Tuesday, 7 o'clock. You can sign up even while you're sitting here. Overwhelm us. Uh, we still need uh, a, a number of people to show up. Browncroft.org slash member meeting Tuesday night. should be a crisp meeting. That's what we, uh, we promise you Tuesday night to elect our officers, our budgets, etc. So just want to get that out there. Hope to see many of you here Tuesday night, 7 o'clock in this room. This morning, we're on the fourth and final habit. If you've been with us here in our habit series, the habit about the importance of sharing your faith importance of sharing our faith with people who are spiritually lost and people who are not today in a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Let me back up and put this in context. You know Jesus, when he rose from the dead, the call, we call this you know, the launch of the church, the Great Commission, he begins by giving the church a mission, right? It's the, it's the same one that we have today, 2,000 years later. Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them, people like you and me, to obey his teachings, everything that he has commanded, until the end of the age. I will be with you forever. Now, this process of making disciples, that's what the habits are all about, right? It's not an easy process. It's a, it's, we need habits to, to spend time with God, spend time with others, learn and use our gifts. It's a, it's a growth process, right? It's a spiritual growth process that takes a lifetime, right, to become a follower of Jesus, a, full, a fully devoted disciple of Jesus. But it begins for us, most of us, in a moment when our eyes are open to the grace of God, when our hearts are open to the love of God, to a grace that is greater than all our sin. Okay, when we become followers of Jesus. The church's mission, which we have uh, adopted, right? This very same mission. The way our mission statement says it is this way. We're inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus to make and mobilize disciples, right? But that's just another version of what Jesus says. But the church's mission is built on the mission of Jesus, which is in, in Luke 19, is given in one simple declarative statement. Probably the most simple uh, uh, way that Jesus ever talked about why he came. He said this, Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Right? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The church's mission is built on the mission of Jesus. Sharing our faith, I would say to you, is the church's, not just brown crop, but the church's greatest weakness all right, in our day. And it's the primary reason, I would suggest to you, that people in the church, people like you and people like me, are spiritually weak, right? I would say sharing our faith, sharing the gospel, however you want to say that, is the church, the collective church of Jesus Christ. It's our greatest weakness, right? And it is also the reason that many people in the church are spiritually weak. The gospel, Romans 1 tells us, is 
the power of God. Romans 1, 16 and 17. The gospel is the power of God. And we re-experience that power. I re-experience that power as I share the gospel with other people. Okay, Sharing your faith. Now, today is the end of this series, before our habit series. But it's the introduction to the rest of the year, the calendar year, where we're going to be focused on preparing our hearts, preparing our lives for reaching people who are spiritually lost in our community. Let me just give you a quick outline of where we're going for the rest of the year. Next Sunday, Alyssa just mentioned it. Steve Harling, uh, the, 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 the president of, of Reach Beyond, former pastor of Browncroft Community Church, will be here in our missions conference with a message, finding your place in reaching the world. It's not going to be a week of just celebrating missionaries. It will be certainly that. It's a week of talking about how God has called every one of us to be involved in the work of reaching people wherever we live. Two weeks later, or I should say a week later, two weeks from today, on the 24th, Ashley Cross, if you remember her, she was here uh, a month or so ago, will be here and she will help me on the 24th launch a three-week series on prayer specifically focused on how we can pray for ourselves to be better prepared to share the message of the gospel, how we can begin praying for our community on the evening of the 24th. Right in this sanctuary, we will have a prayer meeting in conjunction with her church, Melvin's church, uh, Glory House International. That begins two weeks from today. On the 14th of November, fast-forwarding a few weeks, Jeff Henderson will be here. Who's Jeff Henderson? Jeff Henderson, we talked about his book. He wrote a book called Four, What Are You For? He, he started, launched two of the largest churches in the Atlanta area, Gwinnett Church and Buckhead Church. He will be here really helping me launch a series that I will start in the middle of November and go all the way till the end of the year, a whole series on one passage of Scripture, John chapter 4, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, which is a master class on what it means by Jesus to share your faith with people who are spiritually lost. So that's where we're going for the rest of the year. Listen, everything that we have accomplished as a church in the first phase of the REACH initiative, going back all the way to 2016, was done to prepare us as a congregation to be used by God to reach more people with the gospel. We have spent, right, not just us, the last year and a half, in a manner of speaking, catching our breath, right? Catching our breath. I think it's time for all of us to join together in, in a more earnest pursuit of the mission of reaching people who are far from God. That's the work we want to do. So today, in the time I have left, I want to get back to this fourth habit. I'm just going to, this is an introduction to the rest of the year. Just one verse for our sermon today. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says these words. But in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord, Peter the Apostle writing. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and 
respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. Peter is writing to a church. Remember, this is the the beginning of of the church of Jesus Christ. He's writing to a church that exists within what we would call a pagan culture, if that word even makes any sense to us, right? There was no Christian faith before this. Outside of the small Jewish community, that existed, right? This sort of circumscribed Jewish community. The entire world was pagan. That is, it, it was polytheistic, right? They believed in, 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 in idols. They worshiped idols. There was no real orientation to the true God that made humanity and that made the world. He opens this book. I didn't look at it, but chapter, chapter one, uh, verse one, he said, listen, to the exiles that are scattered abroad in all of the provinces, right? Now, he uses that word on purpose, right? To the exiles. The only time I think it's used by a writer of the New Testament. And Peter's trying to make a point. He's writing to this church. Many of them, in the beginning, had become Jews that had converted to Christians. And they would understand this term, going back to the Old Testament. What is an exile? An exile is somebody who lives in a culture, lives in a community where nothing else around them makes any sense, right? They don't speak the same language. They don't have the same currency. They don't have the same rights. If I'm an exile, right? People are sent into exile like in the old days in the Soviet Union. It means that you, all of your rights and your privileges of your life have been removed. You're a foreigner, right? That's what he's saying. To the exiles, Peter says, that are scattered abroad. This is what it meant to be a member of the, of the Christian church in the first century. And what I'm suggesting to you as I talk about sharing our faith, we're having a kind of back to the future moment, if that makes any sense, to the church. In other words, we are now existing in a culture, I would suggest to you, you and me, with the church of Jesus Christ, that is very much like what was happening when the church began. Right? People have been saying to me, pastors, you know, read books about culture, that we have been living in a post-Christian culture for the last 30 years. Okay? A post-Christian culture. I would say it seems more evident to me, more obvious to me, just in the last few years than it ever has before, that I am living, even though they've been saying this for years, in a post-Christian culture. In other words, the average person on the street, the, the academy, the schools, the, the, our, the world that we live in no longer holds the assumptions, whether they were Christians or not, you know, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years whether or not people were, everyone was a Christian walking around in the world, the assumptions that people may have held about God, about truth, about themselves, are no longer held. We live in a world today, ask yourself this question, where there are, I'm talking about out there in the world, right? Maybe not in your heart and my heart, but out there in the world, where there are no shared understanding of moral absolutes, okay? That used to be true generations ago. There are no standards for right and wrong the way that there used to be. There is no objective sense of sin and guilt in the world today. What Isaiah the prophet said in his day, 700 years before there was even a Christian church, okay? What Isaiah the prophet said in his day about the people living in his day that Peter echoes in his day we could say, ask yourself this question, about our day today. Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good 
and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, okay? If we really want to get serious, if I really want to be serious, not just sort of reshuffling the deck, you know, finding some people from X church to come to Y church, if we really are interested in extending the mission of Jesus, I came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the spiritually lost. We just sang about it in a manner speaking, the prodigal son. That's what that whole point is, Luke 15. Three parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. That's why he came. If we're serious about it, if I'm serious about it, if we're serious about it in church, we have to get realistic about the world that we live in. Nevertheless, it's very important we hear hear what I'm going to say here. We don't want to take this attitude of retreat. It's funny how many people I talk to, Christians, you know, they want to go somewhere, move somewhere, somewhere out of the mess, you know, maybe out of New York State. I mean, as if there's a place to go, you know, other than heaven, there isn't a place. And not only is there not some safe place to go, that's not what God called. Jesus said this, John 17. Father, my prayer for his disciples. He was about to leave near the end of his life. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. I want you to hear that. Was the world a mess in Jesus' day? Absolutely. Did they call good evil and evil good? Yes. But my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Just protect them from the evil. Actually, as you sent me into the world, I'm sending, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. The purpose of the church, Jesus is saying, is not that we have some holy huddle. We're not going to try to go somewhere off in some you know, remote place and, and batten the hatches and stay out of the messy, broken world. No. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You've got to go into the world with your love, God's love, with God's grace, and with God's call. Okay? So how do we share our faith in an upside-down world? world okay how do i share my faith in an upside down world this is just by way of introduction really for the rest of the calendar year three three things peter will say in this one verse number one know the lord know the lord bit in your hearts revere christ as lord peter's not talking here about becoming a christian he's talking to christians to the exile scattered abroad He's not talking about becoming a Christian, but he is talking about the importance of daily making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Okay? The daily making Jesus Christ the Lord of the life. If you and I, that's what these first three habits are about. That's why we're talking about habits. It may sound so simple and, and basic. Listen, you can't get beyond the simple and the basic if you want to grow as a Christian. He's saying, listen, if you and I don't make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, your primary objective every single day. It's not something that you just flip on a switch. Every single day, I've got to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Choose him to be. You will have no, there, there will be no, you'll have no ability, I'll have no ability of actually making a difference in the world and reaching people, okay? I will be overwhelmed by the culture that I live in. The word revere, right? In your hearts, revere Christ. In an older translation, it might say this. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ. It's an older translation. It really means to set apart, right? To set apart every single day. Again, this is what the habits are about. I need to make a choice in the word of God. Spending time in prayer. 
listening to people who can encourage me. I'm going to choose to hang out with these kinds of people who can encourage me and challenge me as opposed to these kinds of people that aren't going to. Right? These are choices you have to make. Okay? But every single day, I have to make a choice to set apart Christ. He needs to become my primary loyalty in my heart. That doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't matter who your parents are, what school you went to. It'll, the opposite will happen automatically. The Peter that writes these words, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, is a very different Peter than the one we met in the Gospels. Same guy, but it's a different man than the one who totally capitulated, right? When, when the heat was turned up, right? I mean, it's a horrible story to have to repeat, but he's been hearing it you know, for 1,000, 2,000 years. When Peter, the great apostle, when push came to shove, and they said, aren't you one of his followers? Your, your accent betrays you. Yes, you're one of those Galileans. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. The Peter that writes this book is a very different man. In these words, verse 15, this is the secret of his boldness. It's the source of his strength. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and it must be your secret and your strength if you hope to live in the world and not be changed by its values, okay? And not be changed by its values. Do you know the average American today, I read this recently, including you and me, we're average Americans, I think, spends two and a half hours every single day on social media. The average 12th grader spends more than four hours a day online. Now, let me say this quickly. Like, if, am I just some old-fashioned Luddite, right? I'm not saying to you, there's a lot of good things. I spend time on social media. I spend time on using the internet every day, I think, right? I'm not saying that those two and a half hours, if you're a high school student, those four hours are a complete waste of time. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying this. If, in, if, that, if those four hours or those two and a half hours are compared to less than 30 minutes or 15 minutes a day with the living God, your opportunity, your chance to have the spiritual courage and the spiritual power to actually go into a world and not be overwhelmed by it and share your faith will be very, very unlikely. Right, that's what I'm trying to say. You need to know the Lord, right? You need to experience the first three habits if you ever expect to make any true progress on the fourth one of sharing your faith. Second point, second, you know, how do we share our faith in an upside down world? Number one, know the Lord. Number two, maybe the most important thing I'll say this morning, know your story. Listen carefully. One verse, a lot of truth. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you the reason for the hope that you have. Wow, a lot said in that verse. Always be prepared. That, that goes back partly to, being, to, to, to revering Christ as the Lord, right? I need to be prepared, right? I need to know the, the Jesus Christ needs to become such a part of my life that when someone comes up to me, right, I'm ready to talk about it because he's the Lord of my life, Right? Always be prepared to give an answer. Now watch this. To anyone who asks you about the hope that you have. Okay? This is not a doctrinal question. 
They're not coming and asking you a doctor. They're asking you a personal question. Tell me about the hope that you have. And the reason Peter's saying this here is because, of course, in the first century, who would have a doctrinal question? There was no understanding of Christian doctrine. They didn't want to know a question about doctrine. They wanted to know a personal question, right? It was a personal question. They didn't have any. I've read two books in the last year by two of the, two of the smartest people, um, wisest people um, that have been writing about the church uh, for many, many years. And they're writing about the church. They're writing about the culture. And they both came to the same essential conclusion. I just mentioned this a minute ago about sharing the gospel in the world today. That many in our culture no longer hold the assumptions that they once did, right? About God, about truth, about meaning in life. He said, and this is what they both said. Listen, people are not interested in knowing how to become a Christian. I can't think of the last time someone said to me in a, you know, a Starbucks or a sports game, how do I become a Christian? What they want to know is, why are you one? That's what they want to know. Be always ready. Be always ready to answer anyone who asks you to say, listen, I want to know, John, why are you a Christian? Why do you live the way you, your life the way that you do? Why do you raise your kids the way that you do? Why do you go to church on Sunday if you do? Be always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that you have. I was in um, Kosovo uh, uh, two months ago. I mentioned this to you. I was a missionary there 20 years ago. When I was there 20 years ago, there was virtually no church, a Muslim country, right? None. I, mean, I think there was one you know, handful of Christians we knew when we went there. Now, 20 years later, there are about this mission. I had, I had dinner, long dinner with this missionary couple um, who, I, who came 10 years after I was there, but they've been there now 10 years. And they said, you know, the church is growing. There's now, they think, 30 churches in this country of two and a half million. Most of them very small, but now the church that was virtually non-existent, there may be thousands of Christians, right? Maybe five, 10,000 Christians in the whole country. So in some sense, it's a tremendous thing. And they said, we're just getting to the place now where we're beginning to do um, outreach in these churches. And I was so my, perked up, because I'm thinking a lot about evangelism and outreach and, and, and here in my own context. And I said, what are you guys doing? She said, we've created this program that we're now sharing in four of the churches. We hope to get to all 30 of them by the end of the year. And the title of the program is, it's all built on one big, big idea, that is we're trying to encourage these young believers to know their why. That's the whole point. It's called knowing your why. And I go, what does that mean? Knowing your why. And they said, well, in this culture, again, it's all Muslim background people. They're, they're not asking doctrinal questions. What they want to know when they meet a Christian who's a Kosovar in this country is, why did you become a Christian? And every one of them has a different story. Same gospel, but each one of them has a different story of why they became a Christian. That's genius. That's what Peter's saying here. In a culture... That's completely contrary. People are not asking the questions, right? In the old days, in, in the early church, there was a time when the only people who would come to church, in Peter's day even, were people who, um, who were invited and you knew they were Christians. But most churches early on, they were believers-only meetings because of persecution. It's almost like you, know, you had to knock on the door you know, and say, here's my card, right? 
Most of the outreach happened outside of the church. I think we live in the same environment today, but for a different reason, right? Anyone in this community is welcome to come to Browncroft Community Church, but there are many who won't come, not because they're not welcome, because they assume that there's nothing relevant here for their lives. See, most outreach has to happen in the context of community, and it's going to happen because people want to know not what must I do to be saved, but why are you saved? Not how can I become a Christian, but why are you one? Do you know why? Do I know why? I have a good friend who I've known, one of my best buddies from when I was in my years in Texas, we're still close friends. He's a professional counselor. And handful of years ago, he was just talking, we were on the phone, he was telling me about this um, new technique he had as a counselor to work with people trying to get in touch with their pain. So he's telling me this, we're just buddies. And I said, gee, he's telling me this. I said, that's really an interesting. He said, why don't you try that on me? I just, I'm just curious. He's not, I'm not a client. And he said, okay, fine. You want to? I was going to see him in a few weeks. And he goes, if you want to do this, you got to do, you got to do one thing before you come. And I said, what? He goes, I want you to write down on a piece of paper the 10 most significant emotional experiences you've had in your life, negative experiences, write them down because once you come, we're going to use one of those for this conversation and this technique. So I thought, oh, this will be fun. I'll do it. Right. <laughs> now, I, wrote, I got the first nine in almost no time. It was just easy. You know, I mean, I wrote down, you know, this big sports failure as a kid. And, you know, I got in a bad car accident when I was a high school student. A big breakup. You know, I mean, I, I got to nine pretty quick. But the 10th one was really hard because I, I didn't want it to be cheap. I didn't want it to be, you know, something superficial. So I kept working at it, working. And I thought, I can't, not that there was any magic to the 10, but I just thought I wanted to get 10. And I couldn't think of one. I kept saying no, no, no. And then finally, after a couple days of thinking about it, I had a, a, what was nothing, uh, the only way I can describe it is a, is a true one of those aha moments. I, mean, it was, I even felt it physically. I was taking this long walk. And this is what I realized. The thing that was missing, the number 10 that I couldn't find was really the number one, which was the death of my father. But the reason it wasn't on my list was because I didn't witness the event. I was only four months old. So it didn't dawn on me to write down the death of my father as the most significant emotional experience in my life negatively because I wasn't present for it. But as I thought about it and I looked at the list, I thought everything else on this list, all the other things that I felt I had missed in life, all the mistakes, maybe, maybe some of the major, major mistakes that I had made in my life, all of them were connected in a way to the death of my father, okay? But know your why. Know your story. Also true that those misses and those mistakes also were what led me to meet Jesus Christ as a college student who changed the whole course of my life, right? Be always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that you have. See? That's my testimony. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Listen carefully. Same chapter or same book, first chapter. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, right? From the empty way of life handed down from you 
to you from your ancestors, your parents, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and without defect. Okay? A lamb with... We must relate our faith to non-believers in a way that will help them see first the gospel in us. Okay? Before they're ever going to hear it here, I'm talking about today's culture, they're going to need to see it and hear it in your life. And that doesn't mean you need to be perfect. It just means you need to be honest and open and know. I had the opportunity this past Tuesday night to go to the 10th anniversary of Celebrate Recovery. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you, but specifics. I heard six stories that were absolutely, I mean, could not be more different. Men, women, young, old, from, from life, from, from situations that could not be more different and in some ways amazing. What tied these six stories together, only thing that, made, that, that they were tied together was the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? But each one of them had a different why. And you know, when you begin to look at the New Testament, know your story, know your why, you, you begin to see this in ways that you didn't see it before. We're gonna get to this later in the year. I talked about John chapter four. You know, in John chapter three, Jesus meets a religious man. Some of you know this story. His name is Nicodemus. He would be like, I don't know what the equivalent would be, but one of the most respected, most important people in the culture, right? Not just respect like he's a president, but I mean someone morally respected. One of the most respected, well-educated. Jesus mentions his education. And this guy does not know Christ. And Jesus talks to him. By the end of that conversation, that's where we get for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3. He's talking to this man. This man, this well-to-do, well-educated, top of his class, yet moral man, but didn't know Jesus. He bows his knee and becomes a follower of Jesus. Chapter four, you could not be further away. I'm sure this is on purpose from Nicodemus. You get the Samaritan woman. Read morally uh, 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 questionable. Read wrong gender in this day. Read, read wrong ethnicity. In, the, in other words, she was on purpose the opposite end of the spectrum. And by the end of that story, that woman meets the Savior. Come listen to a man who told me everything I ever did. Two very, very um, different stories. Both saved by the same gospel, but had a very different why, right? When she went into that community, she didn't talk about her education. She didn't talk about what Nicodemus talked about. She talked about, come, let me meet a man who told me everything I ever did, knew the failures that I had, but loved me nevertheless, right? That's why the whole town came out. Know the Lord, know your story, right? John chapter six, a whole full crowd of hungry people meet someone, experience Jesus as the bread of life, right? That's their story. There's a whole chapter, John chapter nine, a whole chapter devoted to one man's story. He's a blind man, he's an adult, I think he said he's in his 40s. And they say that on purpose. Oh, this guy's been like this his whole life. 
And Jesus Christ heals this man. And because it was on the Sabbath, the religious leaders are all around him. And they're questioning him. And they, they're, they're, they're jealous. And they want to they stamp out this story. And they keep saying, who did this? Who did this? Who did this? And he kept saying, because he was blind, I don't know who did this. Right? His name was Jesus, but I don't know them. And after the second time of grilling him and grilling his parents, sarcastically he says this, kind of. Listen, whether he's a, they go, he's a sinner because he healed, he healed on the Sabbath. They go, he goes, whether he's a sinner or not, this is what the guy said, I can't tell you. My theology's not so good. But he said, this one thing I know, I was blind, now I see. So that's his why. If we want to reach people in our day, we're going we're to have to do it um, in a new way, right? Yes, invite them to church. I hope they come. We're gonna, let's invite them. But they're going to hear the gospel first in you. Be always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that lies within you. It starts with you. Do you know your story? Do you know why you're a Christian? And can you tell other people about it? Know the Lord, know your story. Finally, love your friends. Right? That's what he means in this last verse. Be always prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know what this, you know what this says, gentleness and respect? It implies that you actually have friends that are non-believers. Right? You do it with gentleness and respect. Why do it with gentleness and respect? Because he's saying, listen, they don't have the assumptions that you have. They don't have the grace and understanding that you have. They don't know God. They have no experience the forgiveness of sin. Right? Do it with gentleness and respect. Three weeks ago, a guy was baptized in our services. Don Seipel is here today. And if you were here, it was one of the most, I've never seen someone with as much enthusiasm, right? whose Christ has changed his life. It was obvious even if you saw him in that baptismal pool. But after, he said to me, we were having a conversation. And he said, you know, Rob, he, 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 was, he um, led a company for many years, a very successful company in New York City and here in Rochester. And he said, you know, over the many years, there were many people that worked for me that were born-again Christians. I didn't even know what that meant. And he goes, all those years, so many people worked for me. He goes, now I'm a born-again Christian. It was like funny. But then he had this sort of look of regret. And he said, I think about all the people, many, many people that worked for me. And it was in those days, it was all about what they could do for me. But he goes, now I see them in a whole new way. I wish, I, like, I want to go back and tell every single one of them about God's love, about God's grace, Right? That's, if you're a Christian today, that's what you need to do, what I need to do, right? These kind of people without hope, they're all around you. And many of them, we're speaking of CR, are driving nice cars and have nice lives. That, that's, that's a, that's, that, don't be fooled by that. They're empty inside. And they, want, they don't want to know how to become a Christian. They want to know, why are you one? Why am I one? Why are you one? Why am I one? Let's pray. God and Father, we thank you for this day. We love you. God, I just pray for everyone in this room, starting with me, help us, Lord, to come to a place where we can just 
know the Lord. Help me to revere Christ as my Lord. Help me, help us to make Christ the Lord of our lives in every way and begin it every day with this desire to put you, to set you apart in our hearts. And Lord, help each of us to know that you have called us. You don't want us to retreat from the world, but you've sent us into the world, Lord. Not just to, not to critique it, but to reach it. Help us to know our story and to share our story while we have time and while we have the audience with our friends. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.